The reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for that wonderful reading. Um, so, in my family, well, let's start off with, for those of you who don't know, I am James. I have the privilege of being married to Lydia, who is one of the children's workers here at the church. Um, we have a little boy who is two and a half, called Elijah. You will see him on a Sunday morning, marching around, chanting about different countries, because that is his obsession at the moment. If there's a country in the world, he will know its name and probably know what continent it is. It is both terrifying and amazing, but that is the joy of children. Um, 
but one tradition we have established as a family, which predates Elijah, um, is around Christmas time. One thing we love doing is on Christmas Eve, we have what we call our Christmas book. And this is an idea we came up with where beforehand, we've got to scour the charity shops and find a book which I'm, we're going to buy for the other person because we love the idea of finding a book which is sitting on a shelf, not being used, giving it new life and new opportunity, and sometimes being a little bit different to what the other person might have read before. This year, or this past year, Lydia decided she was going to get me a book called Ghost Written by David Mitchell. Not the David Mitchell that you'll see on TV, a different David Mitchell. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I knew absolutely nothing about this book. The cover told me it was popular in some way, won some sort of award or something, but I had no idea. I don't even think Lydia knew much about this book. She just thought it sounded interesting. I'll give it a go. Um, so I went into this, and I started reading it. And I enjoy reading, and I enjoy stories, and I'm very much, my go-to would be like a crime fiction, whodunit, that sort of thing, where you're working up to a point, And it's like, this is a conclusion. This is the end point. Anyone who has read David Mitchell's stuff will know that that is not his style. You have all these segmented different chapters of different people's lives going on, where they overlap in some sort of way. There's a narrative going on in the vague background. But the point on the whole, as far as I can pick up on, and if you're a David Mitchell fan and you know more about this than me, please do correct me after the service, is that the point is to do with the interconnectivity of people and how these events can impact people in different places. And it's all that relationship rather than a given narrative of this is the one storyline that is going through the book. And so I got to the end of it, and I was like, I don't know if I like this or not. I don't know what its purpose was. I don't know really, I didn't know what its style was before, and I still wasn't sure what its style was at the end. I as said knew nothing about it before reading, and I was like, okay, would I recommend this for someone to read? I don't know. But what I did was go, I'm going to research, because I feel like there's a chance I've missed some significant things here. And by spending five minutes on the internet, I found out about how his style of writing works. I found out about some of the events that I completely just somehow missed about certain people dying and other things. Who knows how I missed them? They're quite big. Um, and I just pieced it together, and I was like, huh, that actually sounds like a good novel. And I would say, if you are someone that can deal with a fragmented style of writing, if you are someone that enjoys that notion, Yes, I would recommend this book. If you're someone that is normally like me, that wants one narrative and you know where you're going and it's going that way, maybe keep it on the shelf. Maybe not so much for you. But this is the advantage of going with a book or in life, of knowing something's purpose, knowing something's style, knowing its value. And this is, has relevance for today and the passage that we've heard that's been read out. And today I want to talk to us about the idea of knowing God's favour. And I'm going to bring out three different points that come from this passage about it. And that is, we, ex we know God's favour because we experience it by knowing the Spirit. 
We, know, we experience it by knowing our value, and we experience it by... I've lost the second point. <laughs> That's great. Um, we, there we go. By knowing our purpose. So knowing the spirit, knowing our purpose, knowing the value. Sorry about that. Um, but before I dive in, before we get into this text, let's just spend a moment and I'll pray. God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the life that Jesus lived and the lessons that we can learn from him. We thank you for the Gospel of Luke and the way that it is constructed to help us to see and know something about you and the way that you work and the way that we work as people with others. Lord, as we read, as we share, as we listen tonight, Will you help have some of this truth just resonate in our hearts and in our minds? Amen. So, my first point. We experience God's favor by knowing the Spirit. I have a question for you all. It's not a trick question. It will sound like a trick question, but I promise you it is not a trick question. I want people to put your hands up. A bit scary, I know, but put your hands up here if you would say that you are or you have been filled by the Holy Spirit. Okay, thank you, thank you. So for those of you that have put your hands up just, I've got some very exciting news for you, um, which comes right at the start of our passage. And this is in verse 14. So if you've got your Bibles or your notebooks open with them in, you'll see it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, this is very important, I would say, for us. It is a phrase that is very easy to skim over and just be like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's Spirit, God, Jesus, la, 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 yeah. But it has some really profound significance. This moment is here where, we, where you've got Jesus, the incarnation, Jesus who is both fully God and fully man. He's fully divine, he's fully human. And here it is affirming that Jesus' ministry, this is right at the start of how Luke is recording Jesus' public ministry, he is being empowered by, in the power of the Spirit. He's being empowered by the Spirit in all that is to follow. This is, Jesus' ministry is not just because Jesus is divine. It is not that Jesus is God, that Jesus is able to do all of these things that are subsequently to follow. This is saying that it's through the power of the Spirit that Jesus is able to do all these things that are to follow. Yes, Jesus is still divine. We're not neglecting that but it's saying that Jesus is the perfect human for the power of the Spirit, can do all the ministry stuff that we're about to read about about in Luke over the coming weeks and months. And that is immensely significant because if it was just Jesus' divinity that enabled him to do that, then we can sit back and go, well, that's a nice story about some special guy. But because it's to do with his humanity and the Spirit's power through him enabling him to do this, it means we've got to go, hold on a moment. I just put my hand up and said, I am filled with the Spirit. 
This is the same spirit that filled Jesus, which means that if that spirit has empowered Jesus to do the ministry stuff we're about to get onto into Luke, that same spirit has the power to enable us to do things. Now, if you didn't put your hand up, that's fine, because the incredible news for you is if you decide that you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then this is the invitation that is being made. The same spirit that filled Jesus to do the miracles, to do the ministry, to do everything that we will be unpacking in the coming months about from the Gospel of Luke, that same spirit is what is on offer to us. And that same spirit can work in and through us. Jesus' public ministry is not grounded upon Jesus solely being divine. Yes, that is important because it is important to know that Jesus is God and that is significant to his life. But his public ministry, the stuff he is doing, is not dependent on that. It is dependent in many ways through the spirit empowering the humanity. And we are all humans and the spirit empowers us. We therefore can't just sit back and be neglectful when reading this story and think, oh, that's nice, that's nice. We've got to be challenged and think, okay, God, what is it for us that you are asking us to do? What is it for us that your spirit is leading us into? It is an incredible truth we have that we can share in if we want to live and invite the Spirit into our lives that way. My second point is, oh well, let's, sorry, finish the first point. And it is because of the Spirit, it is God's favor upon us that we have this opportunity it is that God has given us the gift of the Spirit. That is God's favor upon us. We don't deserve the Spirit in ourselves, but it's God's free gift to us. This is God's favor for us, and we can experience that by knowing the Spirit and following the Spirit. Point number two, then. We experience God's favor by knowing the Spirit and by knowing our purpose. So as I say, this passage that we've just heard is the start of Luke's recording of Jesus' public ministry. It is very intentionally placed here. The beginning of Luke 1 tells us about how deliberate and carefully constructed this gospel is. Luke does not do things on a whim. He's quite meticulous and intentional with where he places stuff. So it is, it, he is very carefully placing this here to make a point and make something very clear. Verse 23, though, in our passage, makes it, very, or makes it clear that Jesus' public ministry has already begun before this time, but this is what Luke is choosing to record as his first entry of Jesus' public ministry in this gospel. Because verse 23, it says Jesus' response, or when he's in the synagogue, he says at the end of it, do hit in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum, which is saying the fact that he's gone and done stuff in Capernaum, which these Jews who are in the synagogue have already heard about. So it's, Jesus is for, he's predicting that their response will be in relation to the things he's already done that they have heard. 
but Luke has not recorded them first here because Luke wants to make a very deliberate choice about proclaiming what Jesus' mission is for his public ministry before getting into the different things that Jesus necessarily did. And that mission is that the gospel, the truth, is for Gentiles as well as for Jews. This passage that we hear, this passage, the following, the verses that we have read, is all about setting up the fact that this truth, this news, the good news, is for everyone. It is not just for the Jews. And this rubs wrongly against the Jews. We see it. The Jews get a bit annoyed in this passage to the point where they actually want to kill Jesus um, because of the fact they have this assumed sense of God's favor upon them. They don't understand this concept that actually... It's kind of ironic because the purpose of the Jewish nation, even from the very beginning, was for them to be a light to other nations. And Jesus further highlights this when we get into the verses 23 to 27. And he essentially does what I view as a mini biblical theology of God's favor being for the Gentiles. What he does is he goes, Look, it's not just me saying it right now that it's for the Gentiles. But if you actually look into the Old Testament, or what we now call the Old Testament, here's cases of where God's favor has also been for the Gentiles. He's making this point of there are all these Jewish people that God's favor could have fallen upon and he could have done this to, but he chose a Gentile. There are all these Jewish people over here that he could have done, but he chose a Gentile. And it's showing that actually... There was a misunderstanding, even from the very early days of the Jewish people, that this wasn't a thing about the Jewish people being an elite, select, separated group, but they were to be a light to other nations. God's favor was for a wider audience. And here it is, Jesus is doing it right at the beginning of his ministry in Luke's gospel, the way he's organized it, to say that the gospel is for the Gentiles, not just the Jews. Jesus' life is for the Gentiles, to serve them and be for them. Um, Jesus uses the passage of Isaiah 61 to more categorically state his purpose, a purpose which he has grown to know through Scripture, as we sort of see the fact that he's using Isaiah as stating of his purpose shows that he knows Scripture. Um, he's also known as seen it through time being alone. We've just this morning, and just before this, if you weren't here this morning, been hearing about the temptations. The fact that Jesus had this time alone, yes, there was the devil there being tempted and all that side. But Jesus was alone. He was establishing and understanding his purpose for his ministry just before this. And Jesus gets to know his purpose for a general passing of time. In Luke 2.40, it talks about the idea of Jesus being a boy and growing in wisdom and understanding. It's this idea of over a general passing of time, you come to understand your purpose too. And Jesus did as well. And this mission that Jesus states here, which I will read in a moment, is not just for Jesus either but by it being a proclaiming of the day of the Lord's favor and also by the omission of the verse that if you go to the Isaiah 61 passage this is referencing, 
There's a passage, there's a verse, there's a snippet that is sort of omitted here by Jesus, which is the day of the vengeance of the Lord. And it's by the omission of that here, it is leaving it open that we are in the day of the Lord's favor. There will be a future time where Jesus comes to fulfill the day of the Lord's vengeance or the day of judgment as we may know it. But right now, we are experiencing the day of the Lord's favor because Jesus has not come again for that to happen. And this mission is therefore not just for Jesus, but because we have this spirit that we've talked about before within us, this mission is for us too. And we are part of it. And this mission is, as it says here, I'll read the Isaiah verses that Jesus quotes here. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, pause for a moment. The poor here, we may read it as poor being financially poor. This is far more than that. This is talking about whether it's spiritually poor. It's talking about sort of those that are down and out, the outcasts. It's not about finances at all. If you link this and you read the Beatitudes, you get a feel of the fact this is not just about financial. And I think you'll agree with me. It doesn't take much to read the news, to look around and feel like there's a lot of poor in the world in the sense of poor in spirit and poor quality. We live in a world where those that we trust to enforce laws and to look after us and govern us are being condemned as murderers, being condemned as paedophiles, being condemned as some of the most horrific acts we can think imaginable. And those are the people that we are meant to be trusting to be looking after us. That is the state of the Western world at the moment. It is depressing. It is hard to then have confidence in those that we're meant to look up to as leading us as a nation, as a people, as protecting us. But this is the, some of the poor of the world. This is rife. This is there. There is an element of the poor of spirit that is around us. Continuing on here. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. This is all sort of linked together. It's not just talking about the prisoners, literally, that are in prison cells right now. These are those that are sort of in if you will, bondages because of sins that they've committed where they just can't get free. The people that are being held captive by their past, maybe some decisions that they've made or something that's happened in their past which is just weighing them down. And here Jesus is saying that we have come to set them free so they can have life and life to the full. That is the message. That is what it is, it's to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor for all. It's to proclaim those that are the down and outs, the ones that disqualify themselves, who can't imagine that this news is for them. But that is exactly who this news is for. Because this is such good news, it's such great news, it brings light into that darkness there. So we experience God's favor by knowing the Spirit. And we experience God's favor by knowing our purpose, which is the same as Jesus' purpose as outlined here in this passage. And my third point for those that can't remember from earlier, we experience God's favor by knowing our value. The response of the Jewish people to Jesus' message. 
was outrage. It was not positive. This is Jesus. This is Luke recording the start of his public ministry. And you think, if you're writing a nice start of public ministry, you'd be like, let's start on a high where it goes well. and Let's go, yes, this is brilliant. Everyone's gone, yes, Jesus, we love you. No, 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 this is not what happens. It's like, Jesus, we want to kill you. We want to throw you off this cliff, such as how much we despise what you are saying and how much it outrages us. Is the response to what Jesus' message is, is to kill him there and then. But Jesus' message wasn't wrong. Rejection from these people does not mean that Jesus failed from what he said, and it doesn't mean that we fail if we receive rejection from what we have said. It is the response and of other people. Um, the responses of others are not our responsibility. How we communicate, what we say, are our responsibility. There is a bit of we have some responsibility in this of we've got how we communicate and what we say we need to take ownership for but how they respond exactly is not our direct responsibility there's a fine line because as I say we do have some in what we're saying and this is why it's half the most of the time best when we have relationship with people because then we can know how to say stuff in a way that's not going to offend or upset or link to something that we have no idea about, but actually we can open up some of God's truth to them in a way that they may be more receptive of. We see some of this as well when Jesus sends out the disciples and he says to them about the idea of you essentially stay where you're welcome, but shake off the dirt and leave where you're not. It's that concept of actually... We go, we try, we might talk to people, we may bring up Jesus to people, we may have those conversations, and they may not be in a place to ready to receive it. And that's okay. We don't need to linger, we don't need to barge down their door, we don't need to shout at the top of our voice until they surrender because of the fact they are terrified. Actually, what we're called to do is just to essentially shake off the dust, leave. Jesus in this passage just moves away through the crowd and goes. He sort of disappears upon himself. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't shout down at them. He just leaves. He goes somewhere else where he is ready to be received. John McGinley, who was here a few weeks ago speaking, and for those who are part of life groups, maybe doing some of one of his courses, uses an analogy for stuff like this, about the idea of people being like cockroaches or moths. And the idea that cockroaches run away from the light when it is shone, whereas moths are attracted to it. And that is the way that people generally will respond. We're not called to try and get the cockroaches to come to the light. And that is both not very nice images. I know that we're labelling people cockroaches or moths. People aren't going to be very happy. So please don't go labelling people and being, ah, you're a cockroach. I'm going to stay away from you might not go down too well but this is the idea it's the concept that actually sometimes when we shine that light sometimes when we have those conversations with people they will be open they'll be receptive they'll respond they'll be positive and actually those are the people we stay with you continue those conversations with if they scurry off and hide from the light and they're not ready for it that's okay we're not failing in that way, much like Jesus wasn't failing by the reaction that he got. Our response, though, 
to the possible rejection that we might face is our responsibility as well. As I said, Jesus didn't shout louder than the others. He didn't match the aggression with violence. Instead, he walked away, which actually, when you think about it and read into it, is a minor miracle in itself. You've got a whole crowd of people that want to kill this one person, and somehow this one person can sort of sliver away without anyone noticing. It's like a minor miracle in the mundane sort of things of the Bible, if you will. And, but how are, we, how are we going to respond when setbacks happen? Because even when we're bold, even when we are having these conversations, there will be setbacks. Not every conversation is going to go the way we imagine it in our head or dream that it possibly will do. There will be ones that go differently. And how, we resp- how are we going to respond in those? Are we going to get annoyed? Are we going to get frustrated? Are we going to give up and think, oh, it's not all worth it because this person hasn't responded the way that I want them to? Or are we going to just move away and shine a light again and see if someone, the next person, becomes, is a moth rather than a cockroach? So we know God's favor by knowing the Spirit, by knowing our purpose, and knowing our value, which is not based on the success or rejection that responses come from and all of these things are very important but our motive for knowing these things might be even more so the Jews in the synagogue were initially attentive and amazed at the words of Jesus was this attentiveness and amazement because of what they'd heard Jesus do I don't know Were they there for the miracles or were they there for the Messiah that was before them? And are we not guilty sometimes of the same thing too? Turning to Jesus when we want a miracle, craving the extraordinary in our lives when the reality is the extraordinary is the Messiah himself. So let's know God's favor by knowing the spirit, knowing our purpose, and knowing our value, because we yearn to know the Messiah more, because by doing so, we will experience the real extraordinary. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ability to share your word, to hear your truth, to hear and read about your life as Jesus here. God, will you help us as we go out, wherever we might be, wherever you might be, through your spirit leading us to shine that light, to see the response. Will you help us have courage in that? Will you help us be bold in that? Will you help us be confident of our purpose and knowing of our value regardless of the response that we may receive? And Lord, will, we, will you help us draw closer to you because that is the way that we get to experience the true extraordinary things, Lord. Will you help us not miss that value of our relationship with you by chasing the next thing, Lord? But will you help us stop? Will you help us pause? Will you help us spend time focusing on you and listening 
to your words and your truths for us. God, we thank you and praise you. And Lord, we ask for your spirit to continue to stir within us, to guide us to people that might shine that light to, and to give us the discernment to know whether to move on or whether to try again at another point, Lord. We give you thanks for this and thanks for your word. Amen.